Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. business reflects the moment in American culture where money started to matter more than humanity. All shown through the eyes of a rich white kid who feels the pressure from his parents and society to get into an Ivy League school so he can become a success in the business world. And is nobody going to talk about the pedophilia? (laughs) (laughs) This is Hades Movies, a guide to what's wrong with your parents. I'm Riley Roberts. And I'm Tara McNamara. Risky Business follows Joel, a trustworthy, although not particularly cool, high school senior whose focus is entirely about getting into college to pursue a business degree. When his parents go out of town for the weekend, leaving him in charge of the house, his best friend arranges for a call girl to show up at Joel's house to uh, loosen him up. And another point proven that women are sex objects, and that is it. According to 80s movies, yeah. Um... Risky business. I mean, watching this, I know you got particularly upset. It was really upsetting for you to watch. I don't know why. I just, this, I, first of all, I hate Tom Cruise. Something about him, Katie Holmes, she could have done so much better. (laughs) I like, I have some issue with him and seeing him happy. Oh, interesting. (laughs) I mean, arguably one of the biggest movie stars in the world. So I know we'll give Katie Holmes credit for that. But yeah, I know. But he's charismatic and all that stuff. No, I get you. I get you. Everything since then. Got it. Yeah. Um, And then throughout the whole thing, it's just like, even if we're not talking about prostitutes and we're just talking about regulars, like 16 year old girls, they still treat them like, okay, we're just going to hook up and I'm a ditch of or whatever. It's just, I'm so tired of seeing this. Yeah, yeah. And then, especially in this time, girls being okay with it. I didn't know how you'd feel about that. Um, and I, I really, I didn't know how you would take this, uh, because we are in an era of saying, let's not shame sex workers and and in and in a way like in emboldening them and and allowing sex workers to have a, a you know a voice in recognizing their agency and risky business kind of does that but really what risky business does is shows uh i mean it's there's so much in here it shows the slippery slope of how the reckless antics of greedy adults can impact the generation coming up behind it uh, that is the intended message of this movie. It is a uh, cautionary tale is what it's supposed to be, but that's not how it plays no. out. That is not the takeaway. No one took that away from it. Um, no. And to me, this film, if you want to know what's wrong with your parents and what's wrong with the world we live in now and how we got to the point where Donald Trump, a man who was a punchline in the 80s, even if you love him, you have to recognize he was. And he was in on the joke. Uh, how that guy would become president, mostly through the support of my generation, Gen X, it's all there in risky business. It's all there. And so I was thinking about it. I thought, I believe we can break it down into four factors. So 
Um, I really think this is an important podcast for us. And so I'm going to try my hardest to stay disciplined and kind of stay in our four little buckets here uh, of risky business. I think the first thing is the money. There is this important scene where Joel is talking with his friends. Doesn't anyone want to accomplish anything or do we just want to make money? Make money. Make a lot of money. Joel also kind of laughs and is like, yeah, yeah, it's just all we care about is making money. That was definitely the new mindset that was taking over in the early 80s. And so what I want to make sure you understand is that Risky Business is a prequel basically, to the Wolf of Wall Street. I was just going to say that. <laughs> That's exactly what that is. It is. I mean, if you look at the timelines, mm-hmm. yeah. And, um, I mean, this is the early years of Ronald Reagan's presidency. This is when Republicans became all about making money. His uh, Reagan's embrace of capitalism, focus on deregulation, uh, which led to consumerism, Um, A heralding of supply-side economics ushered in this era of obsession with money and status. And then at the same time, you have Harvard Business School teaching that a businessman's obligation was to his corporate shareholders, that the moral and ethical thing to do as a businessman was to earn profits at any cost and that to have policies in place that focused on the employee's well-being or the greater good of individuals or society, that was socialism. I mean, these are the ideas that came out of the early 80s. And, you know, we still hear them now. <laughs> like, these are still the predominant issues. Socialism, socialism, and and uh, that, that com- corporations are people too and that they have rights like people. It's, it's mind-boggling. Um, but... Wall Street in the 80s was a money orgy. I mean, it became the place where the party was. And you then you combine Wall Street with the artistic elite of New York, like you see in Bright Lights, Big City, which was being written at this exact same time. And so this is the, you know, this is the blueprint. It is. It's it's the blueprint. This is where the heart began beating for hedonism and excess and luxury. And it just became king in America. And they you know, convince themselves that greed was good. We haven't watched Wall Street yet. That is something Gordon Gekko says in that film. That movie comes in 1986. And again, another cautionary tale that no one took that way. I mean, I think we've all seen the Leo version and it pretty much explains <laughs> it for itself. But yeah. Yeah. There was a speech given about, you know, greed is all right. It's okay to, you know, there's nothing wrong with being greedy and and, and believing that, that having money was good. And that there even was a larger belief that having money made you a good person, that you were better for it, that you were contributing, you know? So, so there was this bizarre, uh, embrace that money was more important than anything. And then, you know, what happens in wall street after that scandals, a few people went to jail. I mean, all I'm hearing is we're just seeing a lot of sociopaths or psychopaths. <laughs> yeah. That, that's because everybody loses their empathy for human beings once money gets involved. And the fact that all of these people, in, still today, like the richest people ever, like most of them don't really um, give out to charity. And if they do, it's to cut their taxes, right? Mm-hmm. And then also, they're all they do is like hoard... And what is the point in being able to, like, end world hunger and not do it and then still be one of the richest people on the planet? Right. Like, what, like, 
Yeah. <laughs> if Why you have rich? basic human empathy, any person who is rich would give out their money. Because you, no person needs that much amount of money for their entire fucking life, even if they had ten kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they still don't need that much money. Right. And money laundering is a whole other thing that we don't really even know much about. But if... that Oh. It's a, it's a whole thing. I mean, I think if you look at all the stuff that happens on Wall Street that we don't really know about, I mean, we keep seeing scandal after scandal be like, oh, corporate raids, which didn't used to be a thing because... It was considered unethical. Um, uh, Ponzi scheme, same thing. Selling junk bonds, penny stocks, taking advantage of people's trust in you personally as their stockbroker mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to profit off of it and, and run with it. Um, I mean, we go all the way through the economic collapse of 2008. That was followed by Occupy Wall Street. How much of an impact did that make? We will only find out, you know, who knows what's happening right now. We know in the recent weeks we found out about uh, senators who sold stocks based on the information about the coronavirus that they knew it was coming. I mean, it's just, it's all gross, but it's... I just don't understand this obsession with money because money at the end of the day is a construct that we made up as a society. Yeah. So why are you taking this thing that doesn't really exist... (laughs) Well, it doesn't really exist, but we, but society and the government makes us have need money. We mm-hmm. need money to survive. No, we don't. If we yeah. went to the jungle, yeah, uh, like <laughs> it's a barter system gone amok. It's that's it, that's what it is. It started as a barter system. We came up with money as a way, and then this is what I'm trying to say. 1980. Mm-hmm. starts changing everything and because before that if you look at the 50s and 60s that was about creating a sustainable middle class life for your family when you look at back to the future and he goes back in time and you see the kind of lives they were living then it wasn't about you know i gotta have it i gotta have it it wasn't about having you know so much more than your neighbor when you go to you know, the future in Back to the Future and you see how Biff is living in a casino, you know, has a casino and he lives this rich life. Biff is Trump at the end of the day. If you have watched uh, Back to the Future too, he really is. I think I said that in the last podcast. I know. We need to do a podcast just on that. Uh, well, we did. I thought <laughs> we I were going about to. It. You mentioned it. We should do a whole one on that. But yes, future goals. Um, and I just want to say, who's the guy, who's the, what's the real guy's name from Wolf of Wall Street? uh jordan belfort he is uh actually lives down the block from us he does he doesn't live down the block he maybe lives down the beach <laughs> down the, down the hill over to the <laughs> if the we ring. lived in new york it would be a block <laughs> yeah. our blocks are a lot smaller than new yes blocks. Ex- exactly he's uh uh yeah he would be a soch <laughs> it takes four minutes to walk to his house i call that down the block <laughs> We live in a small community, but it is a distinctly, well, becoming less so because all the rich people are starting to move into our neighborhood now and tear down the houses and rebuild. We're getting gentrified. Yes, we are. Um, But, okay, yes, he does. And his ex-wife was your therapist. So that's like a fascinating um, personal tidbit. Uh She was nice. She was really nice. She was nice. I mean, she and was I'm definitely Mark- traumatized by everything that you see happen in The Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, yes, obviously. But uh, <laughs> and tried to do something good with it. I'm experience. glad that her actress was Margot Robbie. Good for her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome for you. Um, but back to Risky Business. Um, so Risky Business is basically about the beginning of all of this uh, emphasis on money. And 
how this adult behavior seems so aspirational to teens and how it impacted teens in the 80s. And at the same time, in 1982 is when Family Ties started. That was Michael J. Fox, how kind of the world was introduced to Michael J. Fox. And that sitcom was about parents who had been hippies in the 60s, concerned about peace, love, and the environment, and that's who they were. And then they have this son who's a Reagan conservative and is all about the pursuit of the dollar, and that's um, Alex P. Keaton played by Michael J. Fox. So that, just to help frame it, this is all going on at the same time, right? So Risky Business is 83, but it's being written in 82 well, at the same weird. time <laughs> Family Ties is, is, is being made. So that's just, I want you to understand, that's the era. I was a teen then. My brother was a teen then, my older brother. Um, so I was like 13. My brother was... 16 and he basically was alex p keaton i mean he you know down to wearing a sweater vest and a tie i mean my that that was my brother who is still a republican uh although not a trump republican to just throw that out there um and (laughs) i don't know if his wife isn't a trump republican but he's Um, not a trump no i in my opinion at this point if you are a republican uh you just need to re evaluate you, you need to really do because like i just said money you why do you focus your entire life on money that's all republicans do it's about the economy what economy yeah <laughs> the economy is in the garbage yeah yeah it's good for the rich people because we've been having having to buy masks and use amazon yeah. because we can't go to stores <laughs> yeah yeah but for all the poor people yeah and every middle class and lower it's we're getting tanked yeah apparently i saw a thing i might be wrong this might be wrong but i did see a thing that it calculated that like we're minimum wage that we are getting now is less than what like the great people were making in the great depression according to like if you put um our if you if for inflation if you yeah if you put our yeah adjust our stats we're making less Wow. I yeah. Mean, Isn't I, that, that crazy? I mean, the minimum wage hasn't changed since something like 2004, so... In, uh, but... Yeah. But the cost of a house, has, I'll tell you. <laughs> exactly. In the last exactly. few years has escalated. That's, that's my point. Like, why... What, what is this? Mm-hmm. Why haven't we changed, but everything else has? Why are we... So, we're getting more and more degraded uh-huh. as it goes. Right. Like, we still... We already have to take customers screaming at us <laughs> every single day. <laughs> We really don't need. <laughs> I, then I can see you're living your own personal trauma as a, someone yes. who works in a restaurant. Yes. <laughs> the restaurant workers have been getting a lot of negativity given the coronavirus. You think people would be so happy to get their takeout um, and compassionate, feeling compassion for the restaurant worker. Especially in our neighborhood because most of these people are still fine because they are rich. Yeah. <laughs> so they are still doing okay mm-hmm. with their jobs. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, risky business. Risky business. So, um, this is where Republicans were forming. Yes. <laughs> this yes. is when the boomers Republicans were. They're the ones who are, who are embracing this. Yeah. But it's Gen X who's watching it happen. Yeah. And so I guess that as we're talking about empathy, when we're trying to understand my generation and I'm not making excuses for us, but I am trying to garner understanding is that we're teenagers. So all we're doing is seeing, oh, this is the way we should be. I mean, look at Joel's parents, right? It's all about her Fabergé egg, you know, or whatever that kind of egg that was. Um, It was about her expensive piece of glass. That's, and his 
equalizer and the bass on the dad's stereo system and they have a Porsche and it's, you know, you can see the parents are doing it in yuppie culture, you know, and we were the kids growing up as our parents were pivoting to saying, this is what's important. I mean, I remember I dated this guy who I didn't realize till later really had some deep issues and his deep issues were that his mother wanted to go work, you know, as women did and wanted to go earn money, but she, as a, you know, as a consequence of this, like let his older sisters take care of him, and they apparently like tried to drown him and do other things because he was an annoyance to them and didn't take care of him at all. And he was deeply traumatized and thought, why? At the end of the day, you know, he remembered his mom saying, "Well, I want to work because I wanted some nicer furniture," and he was like, "I." You know, you sacrificed me and my well-being so you could have nicer furniture. And this is the environment we were growing up in because, of course, this generation was like, oh, we can all have, you know, now we have two people in the workplace. Now, you know, we can go into Wall Street. Everybody's getting MBAs. Everybody's focused on business. And that is is just what was going on. Now we'll move into the second bucket of risky business and how it impacted our society, which is this idea that women are products. Always. And a woman's value is in her sexuality. My name is Joel Goodson. I deal in human fulfillment. I grossed over $8,000 in one night. Time of your life, huh, kid? One of the other things that makes me mad about this, um, and the fact that this is how our society works, is because women cannot have anything. If a girl goes online to play video games, she's going to get called a slut. Oh, you want to put my dick in your mouth? Oh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and then just get shat on online. Like, you just get shat on. Or if a boy makes a video about, like, I don't know. Girls can't have anything. They can't have nice clothes without them being made, like. Yeah. It it doesn't make any sense to me. We literally cannot have anything. Mm -hmm. And it's just because we are objects. We don't have a life. Mm-hmm. We have no brain. We're just there to them to look at mm-hmm. and to try and grab. I think we are, in my whole life, we're at the one time we're, we're finally starting to move away from that. I think that is due to your generation and millennials deciding that enough is enough. And mm-hmm. and, and honestly, I think it's because millennials, you know, I think the mothers of millennials uh, specifically being women who were around for the sexual revolution, like before they were mothers, right? Um, uh, you know, that they, and then and then my generation both said, hey, because we grew up at a time when women could go to work, right? Like it was new and we had this promise that, hey, you can now be in the workplace. You don't have to be a teacher or a secretary or a nurse. You can do other things. What do you want to do? And so we taught our daughters that same lie, you know, <laughs> but, but there was no one telling us like all the, all the, um, you know, fire you would take as a woman trying to get into these industries. No one said that. You just said, thought, Oh, the door's open. Let me, let me run in. And then a guy grabs you by, you know, your boobs as you run in the door <laughs> and throws you on the side and tries to rape you. Like that basically is the women's experience going into the workplace. Yes, but you is. guys didn't know that. And so how we arrive at the Me Too moment is is, is so fa- ever fascinating to me that ultimately some assistant 
you know, for Weinstein is just like, this isn't how you're supposed to treat people. I know you're not supposed to treat women like this. This isn't okay. And where all these women before had just, you know, afraid of their own futures, afraid of all of having their future destroyed, which is what he was doing. One girl who just didn't know any better (laughs) wrote a memo and sent it out. And then someone else sent that memo to a newspaper. And that's how it all came down to an end. It was you know, it took decades. It mm-hmm. took decades, but we're finally turning the corner. But you're right. These areas that are male dominated uh, in gaming, in the tech industry, they continue uh, athlete, to. Athletes, we don't. There, there is only like three channels to watch women's sports mm-hmm. in the entire America. But when, but women's soccer in other countries. Um, hit box or box office. I don't know what it's called. The, <laughs> ratings. Yeah, the ratings uh-huh. go through the roof. Get the highest ratings they've ever gotten in other countries. But it's specifically in America, we have three channels, mm-hmm. and it's like volleyball, golf, and like basketball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. What the fuck is that? Yeah, and they say that, uh, and then the and the women don't get paid as well, and they no. say, well, you don't get paid as well because no one's watching. You're like, well, you're not marketing these sports like you've been marketing male sports all this time like do you see how many like followers on instagram like these girls have (laughs) like what what do you mean like they're not famous enough or they're not big enough just because they're not part of the nba but the wba or whatever i don't know what it is wnba yeah wmba (laughs) would you watch these sports I'm just saying like (laughs) i'm i'm just pointing out facts that's all i'm doing well see this is what you know, this is what men would say. Well, you talk about women's sports, but then you don't watch them because you're a woman and you don't really care about sports. And, uh, I mean, there are women maybe who care in- about sports. <laughs> and maybe men would care about women's sports more. Because one thing that's been interesting to me is that there is also in Hollywood this uh, belief system that you see in 80s movies, that you see in 90s movies, um, that you see in 2000s movies that only started in the last decade changing, which is this idea that men will never watch a movie about women. And so every time there would be... But they will because their boobs will be in it. Well, only if. And that's why Valley Girl, for instance, they insisted there be nudity. They would insist there's nudity in these stories because it's the only way we're going to get guys to come. And of course, we only care about a man's money because they're the only one who are going to make box office. It makes no sense. And luckily, we've had enough instances to uh, uh, breaking through that it finally got to the collective... Uh, brain trust of Hollywood that that's just false. But what's interesting to me is seeing your two brothers, one who's of the millennial generation and your younger brother, um, and they don't care. They don't, they'll watch a, a TV series or a movie with a female protagonist who's strong and smart. He, they don't need to see her boobs. They're, you know, I mean, it. it's so bizarre to me. We don't have to constantly put women in the position of, of being sexual objects for them to be interesting to men and to have their stories be worth telling. And that's what's apparent now. But in 1983, when Risky Business was made, this is this is part of the pivot. And part of the pivot, too, is they literally state the sexual economics theory that I think was the, the part where you lost it. So you took her to dinner twice. What'd that cost you? About 30. With tip? Okay, maybe 35. Movies. Any movies? Three movies. $20. Roughly. Parking. 
I park on the street. Gas. Maybe six dollars. All right, Stan. You're in for roughly sixty odd dollars. And uh, what happened? She slept with Jacobson. You know, the friend is laughing at the guy for having spent money and then not getting a, you know, sex out of it. And it just makes it clear through this that sex is transactional, that there's an expectation that a man spends so much money in pursuit of sex and that women are expected to put out you know, for being treated in such a nice fashion, you know, for, for being treated to a movie, for being all of this. And, and that, you know, maybe we, if you go into total sexual economics theory, it's also, we spend money on beauty products and, um, you know, waxing and, 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 and lashes and things like that, but, uh, and that it's all, you know, in, in the economics of it all, but it really is, uh, appalling to hear him say that because the guy he's telling this to doesn't see women that way. Mm-hmm. And there's another moment in the film where um, Miles, Joel's <laughs> uh, friend, who's sort of the devil on his shoulder, um, says, you know, he Joel's explaining, well, you know, even though this girl was into me and made it clear she wanted to have sex with me, I just wasn't interested in her. So why you know i'm not gonna have sex with her right he's being respectful he's respecting that and and miles is like why would you let that stop you no guts good yeah you know only when it came right down to it i just wasn't attracted to should me. never stop you seemed too big it could have worked out i figured i would have gotten into trouble somehow God, sometimes you gotta say what the fuck make your move because the idea here is why wouldn't you take something being offered for free, particularly something as potentially expensive as sex? It's being offered you to for free. It doesn't matter if you like her or not. It doesn't matter if you're attracted to her or not. You have the opportunity to take sex. You take it. And at the end of the day, every single woman on planet Earth has been a prostitute at some point in a man's mind. Oh, in a man's mind. I was about to be super offended. Did you have a good time last night? What do you, you mean when we, you know, got back here? I think you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I had a great time. Don't tell me I owe you another $300. Did I say you owe me anything? I don't remember saying you owe me anything. And then we're going to take part into the part where the pedophilia part of this that I don't think anybody caught. So I don't know what the, what's, what's the prostitute's name? Lana? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We never got her age. No. And that's what scared me the most of this because if she's a 25 year old having sex with a 16, 17 year old, Mm -hmm. that's a problem, correct? Even if he is paying for it, that's right. still a minor. Right. And then we, you know, continue on and get to know her more. And then you brought up the fact that 
it was kind of seeming like they were supposed to be the same age because she ran away from home. She wasn't going to school. She's supposed to be in school. I thought it more as her being, like, why is she not in college? Right. But I don't know. Right. Either way, even if she is his age and she is a minor, uh, she's having sex with 30, 40 year old men as a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just young boys calling her up. Yeah. Right. And you say, you know. So you're saying either way, <laughs> there's some pedophilia going on here. Yes. Either and no one people is. People are, or taught. sex, yeah, sex with an underage minor. Um, I think, so I agree with you. I think that the way that they try to position it in the film is that Joel is 18. We see him drinking beer, which it was legal at 18 then. And I think the idea is supposed to be he's a high school senior, but he's maybe already turned 18. They don't get into the details of that, which I think would, if they remade the movie today, they would do that to make us all more comfortable. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Lana is a runaway Right? Because mm-hmm. her stepfather was uh, abusive. sexually abusive. But then we get into this other idea, right? Um, because she has a problem with Joel having a problem with her being a prostitute. And that gets into our, our third factor or our third bucket of risky business, which is the overall belief that success is having money and having beautiful women. You know, if you're a successful guy, you have beautiful women, trophy wives uh, or girlfriends. You see this again and in everything in the 80s. There's a guy and he'll have multiple beautiful women in bikinis or, you know, skimpy dresses all over him. For women, success is being beautiful and making money off being beautiful. And this is the way the film is writing in feminism. (laughs) Which is that Lana and her friends refuse to be owned, right? Lana says, no one owns me. That's why she leaves Guido is because he acted like he owned her. And then she gets her friend and they all come because they want to be in charge of their own business. And there's no issue with how they're making the money. They see that, you know, that is totally transactional, it's a, it's a business. You can have my body and you will give me money and I will profit, as you said, off your stupidity. Uh, and it's, it's a clean and simple issue. We don't have any uh, emotional hangups about that. And, um, and in fact, Joel realizes he's in love with Lana when he sees her pimping. Okay, what do we got? 200? 100? Totals. Look, you got... Hold it. it was great the way her mind worked. No guilt, no doubts, no fear. None of my specialties. Just this shameless pursuit of immediate material gratification. What a capitalist. And that attitude really dripped down to women. I mean, we felt that as a teenager. I mean, I wasn't... uh, it, it wasn't, I wasn't that cognizant. It was, it was a subliminal thing, but you picked up on it. It was everywhere. I mean, you even see in nine to five, right? Mr. Hart is so glad the new hire, Jane Fonda's character is pretty. That's her. She's fantastic. Yeah. You can see in the way that it's just everywhere in the eighties that being beautiful is important and important monetarily to you. You have to be beautiful. 
And what's fascinating about that is we were coming off a time of feminism where women were pushing off the need to wear makeup or have a certain body type or dress a certain way. And it just was like, hey, you know, why do I have to conform to your idea of beauty? That was the 70s. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But by the time we hit 1980, it's turning around and sexuality uh, becomes a bigger part of pop culture and the consumer world. And so now we're all understanding, no, we must, you know, all have our hair done and where, you know, it needs to be nice and pretty and our clothes need to be pretty and our nails need to be done and our face needs to be done. And we have to be pretty and skinny, uh, to be of value. Yep. Um, I think you still see that attitude today in the rich circles, right? All rich girls, right? All the daughters of the wealthiest want to be models. And this is always when, uh, when you were kind of getting into modeling and I'd be like, do you want to do that? (laughs) Because, uh, you know, I, I think that there's, I don't think it's an intellectual pursuit, you know, and it's all about your body and it's all about your looks. But what I always found remarkable is that these daughters of wealthy businessmen always want to be models and they need that validation. And that's probably because what they grew up with, right? That, that if you are pretty and someone will pay you for being pretty, then you are, then you have worth. Uh, And I, I think that's sad, but I think that's a holdover from, from this. Um, The fourth thing is the attitude. Sometimes you got to say what the, (laughs) okay, I don't know how to do this podcast without saying it. So we'll just, we'll just let it fly. Every now and then, say what the fuck. What the fuck gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. And there was definitely an attitude of recklessness about the early 80s. We were coming off the me generation of self-absorption and digging deep to figure oneself out. And then... And then this comes uh, as a result of the 80s finally being free of war and feeling that shackles of Vietnam were finally off of us and we'd been out of it for a little while. And at the same time, a realization that the government isn't looking out for you, that you got to look out for you. You can't trust them. You can't trust their regulations, which is part of you know, why there was all this deregulation and the restrictions they put on our lives. Like We can't trust the government. We have to look out for ourselves. And, you know, why should I, you know, care about my fellow man? Why should I care about the rules? Why should I care about the way society has said that things should be? Why should I care about history? I shouldn't. What the fuck? You know, that's what I should say, because I have to just look out for me. Um, and I think if you look at, kind of look through the, the, the mystifying behavior of Gen X today, that, uh, and, and some boomers, you know, since 1983, you can see that attitude being prevalent and that includes Donald Trump as president. The, you know, in 2016 um, and 15, the electorate was just exhausted by this constant political game playing. Um, You know, the, the Republicans refused to let Obama's uh, legislation go through. They just wouldn't allow it because they had, once they had the majority and it just meant like nothing got done and people didn't necessarily understand what was happening. And there was game playing back and forth. And so Trump came along and he offered a choice. He's like, do you want these, uh, senators or, uh, politicos who've been around forever and been in Washington, or 
you could have me. Now, you know I'm a scoundrel. And even people who voted for him, eh, they knew he was a scoundrel. Everybody knew before they voted. You know I'm a scoundrel, but vote for me. You're going to send a message and you can just blow up the whole system. And, you know, just under half of American voters in essential electoral college states said, you know, what do we have to lose? What the fuck? And they pulled the lever in his favor. Uh, and that's how we got him as president. <laughs> now, what happened the next four years? I will give credit to those voters for not realizing, you know, that it would end in insurrection. Um, <laughs> uh, they should have seen that shit. I think so, but... I think they should have seen uh, But shit. anyway, we'll give benefit of the doubt. Um, I don't know. Or I mean, the people the who re-voted for him, I don't know what to say about that. But, but regardless, I just really want to make the point that if you're wondering how this came to be, I think you look at it from that point of view and that in the 80s, again, we saw being wealthy as good, aspirational. The reason that the wealthy continue to not go to jail and that and seem to not really be in the, uh, don't really get the public hatred in as a whole that you think they would get is because we all hope to eventually be that rich and we believe that we'll be that rich so we kind of protect them as a society because we think oh i'll be in your shoes sooner or later you know um it's that attitude and that attitude like yeah you know donald trump is especially helped by the celebrity apprentice uh you know is a guy who made it you know i could be him i that could be me i could be his friend uh and i and that's uh, you know that's how it came about yeah, everything just points. Just look at Epstein. Just don't, don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't. And secondly, if you voted for Harambe in 2016, screw you, Harambe. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's you partly your fault. It is partly your fault. Well, yes. I'm. Look, I, I'm sorry about the misunderstanding. Joel, be a courageous person. Open the door. That way you see, I can call a cab. How was the diversity? Other than the trans woman? Yes. <laughs> yeah, non-existent. Exactly. Right, right. No, Forgot all to things. bring that up. <laughs> right. I mean, she even says, oh, call Lana. That's what rich white boys off the lake want. Yeah. I mean, there is a, a, a real awareness. Now, Gu- yeah, Guido was Italian. Um, he, he looked really white to me, but yeah. I know Guido is an Italian. I know. Joey Pants. That's who played him. Joey Pantaleono. I don't know how you say his name. Okay. Guy from The Sopranos. He doesn't look like Italian to me. Yeah. Yeah. I could have gotten a better Italian. (laughs) He's pretty Italian. To to play up him. Yeah. That, he was too skinny. Like, he's too, like, you know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, he just seemed too wimpy. Mm Mm-hmm. Too white boy. Right. Um, oh, one last thing to point out. This movie uh, is kind of like if you want to know what an 80s movie is, you're going to watch this movie. Right. That's what I've realized because you know what they had? They had the car. They had a really nice car. They had the car getting totaled. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we have the beautiful blonde girl. Mm-hmm. We have the uh, Nudity. best friend. Mm-hmm. We have the best friend. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, right. Um the wimpy but like annoying somehow screws them over best friend. Mm-hmm. um and i'm also putting the examples i'm using for this is ferris bueller license to drive <laughs> anything else <laughs> right right and i mean and by the way the movie opens opens with a woman in a shower oh yes yes right that too that he walks it now it's a dream later we see in uh, no actually the same year we see valley girl where that's a 
mm-hmm. a thing. I'm wondering if there was something else going on that women walking in on women taking showers when they don't know you're there, if something was happening that, that made this a, a dominant thing. But yeah, you, you open with that. Now here's what I'll tell you. Uh, I read an interview with the author who is did also notice those similarities in John Hughes films to things that John Hughes picked up from Risky Business. Uh, so he believes Risky Business was the first time you saw oh, the car. The special the artifact, that oh. need, the one thing that's mm-hmm. not important to the main character, but important to his parents, uh-huh. uh, that he has to keep sacred. Right. But the one thing that we didn't have was any fighting, really. I think Tom Cruise got punched in the face, like, once. Uh-huh. Well, Guido the Killer Pimp is after him. Yes. Right. But, like, there was no actual fight. There was right. no fist fighting. Right. There was no guns. Look, Joe. You look like a smart kid. So I'm going to tell you something which I'm sure you'll understand. Now, you're having fun now, right? Right, Joe? Time of your life. And as sluggish you can, never, ever fuck with another man's livelihood. Now, if you're smart, like I hope you are, you're not going to make me come back here. But I think your point is well made. It is. It is. It is the the blueprint once again. This movie is a blueprint. That's what. That's the definition of this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, you can find more about eighties movies at our website, eightiesmovieguide.com. And you can also look at us on social media. Mm-hmm. And that way you can find out when we have new podcasts and uh, new guide pages. So Twitter, Instagram, all at eighties movie guide. I'm Tara McNamara, and I'm Riley Roberts. Have a good one. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.